0: Hi, and welcome to Decoding AQ, helping you to learn the tools, mindsets, and actions to thrive in an ever-changing world. Hi, and welcome to the next episode of Decoding AQ. With me today, uh, and late in the evening for him, I have Anuj Kathuria, who is a certified coach. He's a well-known speaker at various global forums and a true consultant at heart. At the moment, he's currently the Chief People and Strategy Officer at Wari Group, which is India's largest solar module manufacturer, and they're the fastest-growing EPC company with over 2,500 employees globally. So welcome.
1: Hello, Ross. Pleasure to be here.
0: So as an avid learner throughout your 20-year career, um, where... Does some of the things throughout that career, you know, where you started in training in some tech companies, you know, IBM in Samsung and throughout your 20-year period, what are some of the things that maybe have stuck most to help shape your thinking and career? Maybe you could share a few of those straight off the bat.
1: Well, great question. Russ. I believe, you know, I'm a firm believer in one of the sayings by William Edward Demings. He said, learning is not compulsory. Neither is survival. And it's a very hard-hitting adage. And fortunately, unfortunately, I had a taste of that pretty early in my life, in my education time. So I have been through and through a science person. I had science in my high school and was preparing to go for Merchant Navy, for which I even cleared the written and orals but unfortunately, I could not make it. It certain, uh, I couldn't pass certain physicals. And that was, I think, a turning point in my life. When the biggest dream of your career gets shattered. You've been preparing for that for like 18, 19 years of your life. And suddenly you see that and realize that this is not going to happen. And you don't have plan B. Now what you're going to do and I was in dire straits after that, uh, debacle and with the help of, you know, coaching and mentoring from my parents who also happened to be in the similar field, they said, give a try to a different field. Let's make the most of life, you know, and I went in for engineering, but unfortunately, uh, even that was not in store for me, uh, it was the day for me to pick up the college in India and I had qualified for all the tests and due to a health scare, I could not make to the location and I lost my seat. And unfortunately, I had not filled up any forms in any college. So it was like, man, what should I do? I am in doldrums now. Uh, I have been a very good student throughout. I've been preparing myself to go into Merchant Navy. Fine, that didn't happen. Now I want to get into engineering. My name is there in the cutoff list. But I can't make it to that location because of a health reason. Now, what do I do? And I said, okay, you know what? If life is throwing lemons at me, let me use them in tequila. Let me take what comes, man. I'll make the most of it and figure out what needs to happen. And... That was the first learning I had that not everything that you strategize and plan is going to happen. Life is something very different when the rubber hits the road, it's completely different and it is going to throw many a curveball at you for which you are never prepared. So, the only choice you have is to make the most of what you have at hand, things which are in your control, try and control the environment externally to the extent possible. And finally, I landed up doing an arts course. So imagine science to arts. One and a half year in that uh, graduation course and the reality started to sink in. What am I going to do? Where should I make my career? Should I be a professor? uh, Teach people literature? Uh, Should I go and apply for a PSU job? Because in India... And arts graduate, prospects are not very good. And I'm talking about a time, uh, early early 90s, mid 90s, when there were only two predominant professions. Uh, Either you were a master's of business administration in certain fields, or you are a doctor, or you are an engineer. And I was now an outlier. So second year in my graduation, I said, okay, you know what? Let me try my hand... I've I've been good at science and maths. Let me try my hand at computers. So I joined a software engineering course with Uptech and certain courses with Government of India. I did those courses, but pretty much didn't enjoy. My heart was not there. It was just not there. And it took me about a year and a half to figure out what I really want to do with my career. Should I give a shot at engineering the next year? Should I uh, look at something else? And it took me about, I would say, close to six odd months of self-introspection and pondering over what I need to do to find my calling. And I said, you know, I started to reflect back on my schooling years. What am I good at? What am I really, really bad at? And then this Eureka moment happened at one night. And I was out with friends that, you know, I'm really good at simplifying things for people. The toughest of things I can simplify and explain to people. I said, let me, can I use that to my advantage? Can I make that as a profession? And that's when I started researching and found out about learning as a field, as a profession. And that was the commencement of my career. And I went into learning with IBM and moved to Samsung India. And then life threw a curveball at me. Now, this was seven years in my career, and in India, we have had, if you look at the history of work or the history of industries in the last century, every decade or so has belonged to a certain industry. The late 90s was the dot-com era, and middle of 2000s was the commencement of the banking revolution in a country like India, and I said, you know what, I need to go into banking. I need to go into banking, learning, and development. And I did my research and found out that the only way I can go in there is if I have a master's degree in finance. And I'm like, okay, I have done science. I have done arts. What stops me from trying my hand at that? So I went in for master's in finance. Now look at the you know shift science with physics, chemistry, maths, and biology, medical one, to arts, to finance. So it was tough for me in the beginning, but I said, you know what? I have to be flexible and I have to be adaptable and I need to adapt to my circumstances. Right. Or I have only two choices. Either I become a product of the environment I'm operating in, or I make the environment my product. And I chose the latter. So I did master in finance and landed up a job in HSBC. And from there, uh, there was a beginning of the boom for telecom era in India, in uh, the late 2000, 2007, eight time. And I was handpicked by Vodafone India to lead their learning and talent vertical, set up the processes, frameworks and things. And I jumped in over there. From there, uh, working up, working in that organization for about four years, I'd done multiple and this was about, I would say, close to uh, 12 odd years, 11 odd years in my career, I had done multiple hats of being a learning strategist, a learning facilitator, talent architect, employee engagement lead, and in Vodafone started my tryst with HR digitization, what exactly it means. And by virtue of those experiences, I got an opportunity to work with consulting, Accenture, where I worked in a global role looking after the formation as well as deploying of learning and talent strategy for the consulting workforce, a very different industry. And uh, again, life threw a curveball at me. Uh, it was close to five years and my travel was increasing consistently. From ten percent to twenty percent to thirty to forty, and we were blessed with a son in two thousand fourteen. He was about three years old, and he started missing me, and that was a little bit of a jolt to me. That you know, I cannot be out of house for five, five, six, six weeks at a stretch, or, for, matter of fact, even three weeks. The kid is there. I need to be there to be a parent. I need to fulfill my responsibilities of helping imbue the right values in my kid and give him a very robust foundation. So try to get a desk job, it was really difficult to get in a consulting organization. And then reliance it was back then.
0: It was back then, maybe not so much now. Um absolutely absolutely back then, yeah, it was so linked,
1: wasn't it? I'm talking way back 2017. Yeah. On reliance came calling. Yeah. Yeah. And I joined Reliance Industries, India's biggest conglomerate, and into multiple and diverse businesses, from hydrocarbons, to petrochemicals, to telecommunications, to retail, to media, to hospitals, to e-mobility, to fuel retailing, to freight aggregation, to, uh, you know, uh, digitization, you talk about it and they're there. And I fascinating experience of four different roles across five years over there. And then came my current job. So if I look back at these two decades of my career, I believe I'm a product of the lessons I have learned, the failures. I won't call them failures. I call them lessons. And each step has matured me and given me certain experiences, which I have leveraged in the next following experience. And I firmly believe our corporate careers or personal lives always have some climax, some curveball to throw at us. And that happens when you least expect it. So the trick I have learned or the focus I have learned is you will fall down and everybody falls down. There is no, there is no one who has never fallen down, right, in his life, whether professional or personal. There will be moments you will be down. There will be moments you will be up. Life is like your ECG, right? It keeps going up and down, up and down. If it's flat, man, you are dead. And that's the beauty of life. So, what I learned is that if you've fallen down, you need to dust yourself, gather your strength, reinvigorate your beliefs, your faith, stand up, fight again. Figure out what arms and ammunition do you have in in your arsenal? What do you need to acquire? and then start the battle again. And, you know, as Abraham Maslow said, if the only tool you have is a hammer, you tend to see every problem as a nail. And I had promised myself, I am not going to see every problem as a nail. I'm going to have a wrench. I'm going to have a spanner. I'm going to have every possible tool that's there in the world, in my kidney. So I am prepared, but believe you me, Ross, Whenever you think you're prepared, you learn, okay, there is something more that you need to do. So life continues and you have to be a lifelong learner if you need to sustain, be relevant in today's times and the times to come.
0: I think that's so fascinating. And just to hear that story of not just the content, but the energy as you go through and you... um, when we look back i think it was steve jobs you know saying we can connect the dots only when we look backwards you know right. and we can see these shifts where things are from you know a setback to becoming the springboard from a door closing to another door opening and a lot of that is perspective but the challenge i think that many are perhaps facing at the moment is the relentlessness of some of those perceived setbacks or challenges or our expectations shifting or an environment shifting multiple times a day, a week, a month in each industry for for everyone. And that support that we need that might be internal, a skill like resilience, it might be things where you've been, as you said, gifted from your parents a robust grounding of how to make tequila from lemons, I like that twist. but other things like having team support, having people around you that can help you see those new opportunities and new things are so critical. With that mental flexibility to shift an identity for you, you had in effect many identities. Who am I? Oh, I'm a you know a student. Oh, I'm doing science and engineering. Oh, I'm I'm doing art. Oh, I'm now finance. So our identities adapt and evolve, and as long as we can have this perspective. Of those chapters being shaped and revealed, that's, an, that's life. So I think one of the things that's interesting that whilst you've described your journey through learning, through education, and how it's revealed itself in providing value to you, family, and the world, when you're trying to deal with that, with the complexities then inside an organization of thousands of people, you've got that same story times a thousand times the multiplier of everyone having to interact with each other. So what do you think are some of the sort of really core maybe challenges or skills that are really showing up maybe now in this future of work, you know, and what's going on right now? What are some of the critical things that you're maybe working on or supporting inside your organization? I'd just be fascinated to understand that a little bit more, Anuj.
1: Well, the question is very simple. But let me tell you, the answer is very, very tough. And I will try and do my best to attempt to answer that. Uh, See, I am a firm believer in two concepts, which is hyper-personalization and hyper-contextualization. Right? We are staying in a world where novelties of morning are becoming obsolete by the evening. Let's reflect back on the last decade and a half of what's really happened in the world. Everything's changed. We talk, the way we shop, the way we bank, the way we work, the way we manage organizations, right? Last 15 odd years, these technological changes, disruptions, patterns of globalization, industry transitions, change in business models, they have impinged businesses on one hand, and on the other end of the spectrum have created fear of livelihoods in employees. My friends, but matter me as well, I have the fear in me every single day. Am I relevant? Or am I going to be a piece of furniture tomorrow morning? And it's a very scary time, believe you me. These are not simple times. Now, if you look at it, across the globe this is what we call as the emerging contours of the new world of work in what experts call as the fourth industrial revolution right we started with the, the brick and mortar business models moved to service oriented ones then moved to e-commerce 1 and 2.0 and now we are staying in a world which is all network orchestrated Unfortunately or fortunately, the pandemic taught us a lot of things. It broke paradigms like anything. It just broke those paradigms. There has been a lot of learning for the organization, which is good from an organization point of view, but not good from an employee point of view and vice versa. Right. So, you know, when such transparency, such transitions happen, when such disruptions happen, and the pace of acceleration is just going bazooka. These situations create a need for everyone, whether you are an organization or an individual or a human being, or you put yourself as an employee, the need to traverse uncharted territories and uncharted paths. You don't know what's going to happen. So all the predictions Okay, if you're really really good, might be fifty percent, sixty percent there. But how many such people? How many people can really predict what's going to happen? No one knows. So, from that standpoint, you know, I recall uh, a couple of months back I was going to certain gen- certain generals and certain reports, and very interesting to note what we call or what we used to call define as work. 40, 45-hour container called a job or work doesn't exist anymore. That definition is thrown down the garbage can. The core essence of that has changed. And now when you add to that certain certain research models or certain data points, it is scary. OECD estimated 1.1 billion jobs are liable to be radically transformed By 2030, the World Economic Forum, I think in their global risks report and job market report last year, predicted an overall net positive job growth and decline, but attributed skill instability with all jobs, meaning nearly half of the poor jobs are bound to change pretty soon, right? And add to that the cherry on the cake, which is the largest generation of young people in history are about to inherit the world. One billion people. And they are already facing a crisis of what they're studying right now, the skills they are learning right now. Will they be relevant or not? Succession plans are all going down the garbage can. They're just not working. Everyone's trying to do a hidden trial method. Will this work? Will this not work? Will this work? Will this not work? Add to that another complexity of artificial intelligence, machine learning, robotic process automation. There is a huge hue and cry. Huge hue and cry, right? And if I have to bring it all together, I think... For the first time in perhaps last 75 years, uh, we are faced with a situation where we need to look at the problem from a very different lens, which I think none of us has have ever, ever done, or none of the previous generations had to do, right? As both individuals and organizations. We truly need to understand the uncertainty of change to the maximum possible level in order to make those appropriate strategic decisions to three levels whether it is about nature of work, whether that change is going to be lasting momentarily or it's going to again have certain you know its own curveballs again two, three years time or four, five years time. And when you think of all these things you are, In a mindset that, okay, what do I do, man? What I'm doing right now, is it the right thing? You tend to ask yourself those questions. And when you hear what's happening across the globe, layoffs happening, okay, these skills are becoming redundant. And uh, I have been part of Microsoft Learning and Talent Forums for a couple of years. They were about to launch quantum computing in 2020. Unfortunately, pandemic happened and they have delayed that. Now, just think about it for two minutes. Quantum computing gets launched. What is the impact? The entire telecom infrastructure across the world has to be upgraded. You will have a new skill set. Millions of jobs are at stake. Cybersecurity goes down the drain. Banking, regulations, everything has to change. So you look at it, how these pieces are falling together. And then you add to that. Now, this is some an organizational and a different level. Now you add to that a different level from an employee or a worker or a human standpoint. I want hybrid work. I want remote work. Moonlighting that was once considered a okay, not a bad thing today, is the norm of the game. Today it is the norm of the game, and is it's going to define what we call as future of work, at least in my understanding. So From a skill standpoint, you know, there's always been an increasing argument about artificial intelligence, robotic process automation, disruptions, uh, jobs will get uh, eradicated, new jobs will emerge. But I have a fundamental disconnect with uh, all those scholars that this human cry was also there when computers came into existence, right? Oh, everybody will lose their jobs. Did that happen? The answer is no. We just had to evolve. We just had to adapt ourselves. We had to be, we had to show flexibility in our approach and we had to learn new things. And we did. Then there was a Y2K bug across the globe. Did the world come to an end? The answer is no. Did jobs go down the drain? The answer is no so you will always hear different points if you but i have come to realize in these 20 years and from more from my experiences my thought processes and what i have failed multiple times and then succeeded is that there are certain things that no machine or no disruption can take away from you and as human beings or as a hr professional when i look at my organization My focus is to help people develop those skills, is to help them understand that, you know, I can take you to the well, but it's you who got to drink the water. I can't make you drink water. I can help you formulate a path, but you have to walk that path. And on that path, I think I would like to call them uniquely human skills, which at least in the next two decades are not going away. Uh, I put them in clusters called Number one is, uh, in my mind, creative intelligence, which talks about innovation, critical thinking, creativity. Now, that's something that machines or disruptions cannot take away from you. If you are creative, if you are innovative, you will figure out how to make a lemonade out of lemon or how to use that in the key. You will learn that and you will sustain and and you will come out with an answer. That's number one the second element is your social intelligence which to me is a combination of networking persuasion hyper collaboration the world is becoming increasingly interconnected so how do you join these things <clears throat> number 3 co creation like you mentioned in the very beginning teaming managing conflict understanding each other right uh, empathy and experience which is more about being human centered and Effective listening. Now, those things machines can't take away from (laughs) you. Awareness of your environment, both internal and external. Trend detection, judgment, your problem-solving analytics. And the most important one to me is your learning agility, which is all about your self-awareness, your mental agility, your generative sensing, change agility, people agility, and your results agility. I think if we develop these skill sets and hone these in ourselves and sharpen the saw in these areas for our people, no matter how many disruptions come, we will be resilient. We are tenacious as a race and we will come out successful. We will find a way. We found a way to reach uh, the moon. We found a way to reach the Mars. I'm sure we'll find a way to reach the sun and we can surely go ahead and manage anything that comes our way. Provided we focus on these areas, that's I, I think I would
0: believe. You know, it it just fills me with excitement and joy when someone in your um, area of influence and things to think in the way that you're thinking. You know, I've been an avid fan of uh, Singularity University of Peter Diamandis. I've been there. All of this stuff about exponential technologies and whether it's ah it's going to eat the jobs you know software's going to eat the next jobs or what is human skills and for me i have a um a great improv of the yes and you know you take what someone's had and you do the next uh, and build from there and i feel it's not about a battle it's not about a take it's a for me an abundance one of even every single human skill, I feel, could be multiplied, augmented, and better with some form of technology. Now, that technology could be simple things like collaboration with two people, you know, of teamwork. Or it could be a collaboration with some data, with a, you know, at what point will we have on the boardroom a AI entity Mm-hmm. Presenting information, looking at data, trying to help us make decisions, trying to look at things in alternative ways. Mm-hmm. And the same true in artistic expression, whether that's writing, literature, all sorts of things we will use technology in unknown ways uh, as they reveal themselves. So I think this opportunity for me to shift from uh, maybe the old work where it was about knowledge and it was about efficiency and productivity to right. maybe entering this world of the imagination economy and this opportunity where our ambitions we can do anything we set our minds to choosing what to do is going to be the biggest challenge and then thinking about the effects of that whether that's for a personal or family or climate or people you know on a right. wider wider scale so i think that joy and shift of if we sit here and think in a few years time, anything can now be possible. We can 3D print a new organ for somebody who needs it. We can, you know, do whatever our imagination might be, go and live in a a virtual world, go and have a relationship with a inert uh, entity, you know, whatever it is that we may want to do. And, you know, films and sci-fi has been a playground of imagination. I think a lot of that will shift into our work uh, as well and redefine that where we become, as you mentioned, portfolio career people, that we will have multiple entities where we show up and be valuable across departments, across teams and maybe across organisations as it lends to our our value base. And it, it brings me to the challenge where you mentioned, you know, a lot of technological disruption might come from an external environmental event and say, ah, we now have this and therefore, A skill we had that was human is now irrelevant and it can be done differently. And we also have on the flip side, people saying, I no longer care for this uh, organization. I'm no longer passionate about it. I'm off uh, for whatever reason it may be. So we have this drivers of huge flux. What are some of the things that you're seeing that help um, navigate that duality and of Redundancy of irrelevant skills, together with almost a, an exit of disconnect of belonging, of passion or, or desire that we're seeing. How are you navigating that at scale in an organization to remain, you know, consistently delivering against promises, against, you know, um, uh, contracts, against those sorts of things, in where you, you know you, we can theorize a lot about this, but where the rubber's hitting the road. What's happening right now in an organization like yours to deal with some of those challenges?
1: So I would say we have not been 100% successful to be very honest. These challenges, see if it's, if it's a matter of few people that can be catered to very easily. The challenge, right, like you rightly said, is about scale. And it is not about one shoe fit all approach. Like I mentioned, it has to be hyper-personalized.
0: Hyper-personalized
1: and hyper-contextualized. It has to be Mm hyper-contextualized. And we are staying in an experience economy. Something that that works for us might not work for Anuj and vice versa. So I have a very different take on uh, what I have seen happening because I know it's not going to work. See, what happens... uh, And this is more of a psychological element that though there's a saying, when the going gets tough, the tough tough get going in reality, there is a second side to that. We are a product of learned behaviors that we have learned over a period of time by virtue of our experiences, our thought process, our education, our interactions, we resort back to our core traits whenever it's an issue of irrelevance redundancy or survival and then charles darwin's theory comes into place right the immune
0: system comes up doesn't it absolutely right cognitively go back to look backwards And we often can't unlearn, you know, one of our uh, pieces in our model of AQ is unlearning that ability to take on new information and reassess what is relevant or not now to make a new behavior action uh, from it. And I think that you've hit the nail on the head of one of the biggest challenges is this sense of, you know, uh, relationship with the way that we think, the way that we thought, the way that we got
1: to where we got to. And... The biggest challenge, Ross, is not about learning. The biggest challenge is about unlearning. Because unfortunately, uh, you cannot eradicate anybody's mental maps. They are the way they are. Your neurons fire the way they fire. The synapses connect in a way they connect. The switches form the way they form. No matter what happens, you cannot change those unless you have a very uh, you know, massive transformational experience, right? Where certain parts of our brain certainly become redundant and certain become active, which happens in, I think, 0.03% cases. But for, I think it, it, it's all about the change curve, right? You cannot impose or force people to learn. You can be a provisional. you can provide access you can provide environment, you can provide content, you can provide technology, you can augment the experience. The step has to be taken by the respective individual. Unfortunately, this is where most of these efforts are not succeeding because we want everybody to go to classroom. All right. Okay, you, are, you have learned X language. Let's transition to this language or let's go to this or let's go this. It's not going to happen. Believe you me, it's not going to work. Road learning never worked, right? The moment you have to get the rubber hitting the road, it doesn't work. So I believe that, uh, you know, as I mentioned before, I like to bring my personal life experiences to my work. And I asked myself the question that if there were 10 people in my situation, would they have done... or chosen the same course of life I chose? The answer is no. Everybody would have chosen a very different perspective, right? And it's as simple. Let's a group of five friends go to watch a movie. It's the same theater, same popcorn, same experience. But everybody's takeaways are very, very different. The fingers of our hand are not equal. So how can you expect everybody to be given the same treatment? It's not going to work. So you have to design the experiences and the ecosystem in a way that is in, in both letter and spirit, hyper-personal and hyper-contextualized. So the old models of working will not work out. You have to look at redesigning your employee value proposition. Yep. You have to redefine the learning path and the learning journey by partnering with that individual. It has to be a personalized learning path than somebody telling, okay, you need to do this. And one of the pitfalls that we have seen is I as an individual would be a concoction of 50 different skills. But in my job, I am perhaps bringing only 10. We don't bring our whole self to work. I could be a great cook. I could be a great teacher. I could be a great football player. I could be a great project manager. I could be a great writer. I could be an enigma, which people have to discover. I think if we take that approach, let people uh, create those personal portraits about people and then figure out where they stand. What do they want to do? Is that in sync with the organization? Can we leverage value from a person in a different way? There are three roles every individual plays in work you can either be a business operator you can either or you can be a value creator or you can be a people developer now if you go in the in that regime you would slot people into one box each don't do that why can't all these three boxes coexist yeah i think that's where we are moving now and that's where my effort is that number one i need to reshape my culture and leadership to provision for that kind of an ecosystem which is more flexible, adaptable, Uh, repair the lack of connection to the organization when certain things of these uh, nature happen, focus more on human-centric work design by involving the actual end user and let him pick up his journey. Let's not define a journey for him or her. Let him or her pick up his journey. Provision a digital enablement and rethink your workplace and rethink how uh, the entire construct is going to change very soon. And it is a lived reality for millions of workers across the world already. Yeah. So it's, it's a matter of how do we find that magic potion to scale it up to millions and billions. I so think- I'm still in that journey. Uh, have had some failures. Have had some success. Still trying to find out the right mix of that, to be honest. It's interesting, isn't
0: it, where we can envisage improvement when we observe something. So we can look at it and we can take new information and say, ah, that worked then. This has now changed. We now want to do this. It works when we do it one-to-one and personal. And I can understand context. I can understand who you are. I can refrain from judgment now because I've learned that, ah, just because you had that kind of career or that kind of task um, skill before means that, ah, it's not this is your predefined path that it used to be. You can now become something else if you wanted. What we then tended to do in order to scale that was we digitized it, but we lost the ability to make it personalized, Yes, And so it became, here's the smorgasbord of learning content and hope that A, everybody learns the same way, B, that that content will resonate. And, oh, I want to ask that video a question. No, that won't work. <laughs> you know, you just got to sit there and, and watch it. And and so we had this huge digitization in order to get uh, scalability, but we lost efficacy right. um, and we also lost a human uh, contact to that uh, and an experiential part of it. Of, I need the learning actually in line with life when I have the situation, not when I need to go off and do the course. It's, yeah. oh, I'm facing it now. I need the support and help right now, and I'll deal with and need access. And it's interesting because we've been working with a, a logistics firm called Havi uh, yeah. In fact, they they started out with one client uh, of McDonald's, so they were the logistics arm of McDonald's. Mm-hmm. And uh, they've now evolved. I mean, there are huge organizations, tens of thousands of employees. And we're working with them with their uh, redefining their learning architecture, where they would had loads of disjointed experiences and bits in all sorts of different ways. And trying to bring that into a new playbook that does exactly what you're talking about, that's adaptable to the individual, hyper-personalized, contextual. And it's not bloody easy. It's very, very challenging because if we talk about your analogy you know you can lead a horse to the well the water do they drink do they need a burning platform you know crisis is the greatest driver and creator of lots of innovation or do they need a burning ambition uh, are they too stressed do they have the level of unlearning you know what's the sort of support that's around their character or the environment the context or the skills that they have to meet what they're trying to achieve within their role within their division so i think it is a you know, it's a very complex, but we have some advantages right now, uh, don't we? And in terms of people like you thinking about it, uh, taking it seriously, using technologies to help that, using crowd to help create, you know, and curate content. And so as we come to the sort of end, I, w- I want to do two things that might help others who Maybe a lot of this has really resonated. They've been nodding throughout the whole time of you saying, do you know what, Anuj is so on it. He he thinks the same way I do. He's identifying the same things that we're doing. The question now is how? Well, you know, the, we've got that, that challenge. What are some of the very practical things that you've been starting to implement or starting to do to try and build that hyper-personalization and that hyper-contextualization for people's development paths and their development journeys, uh, what's in place. Um, so either a tip or a, this didn't work for us, whichever one, just a couple of those, I think would be a great way before I give you my final uh, question as we wrap up in a minute, but I'd love to hear your, your insights on that.
1: Sure, you know, as I mentioned before, we all go back to our roots or traits when you're faced with those problems, right? Uh, No matter how much, how old we become, uh, at the very first infliction of pain, we call internally, we call our mom's name, right? That's what we are. We are humans, right? And that's what I have been trying to do. So there were certain uh, learning architectures which I married way back in Accenture to provision hyper-contextualization and hyper-personalization of learning for 38,000 people globally. I am trying to replicate that model with certain changes, whereby... uh, So, there are three parts to this equation, which I call the PPT formula. P stands for people, P stands for process, T stands for technology. And as enablers or as catalysts, we have to expedite the reaction. We have to ensure the horse comes to the well and is encouraged to drink that water as well, right? doesn't go uh, thirsty. So instead of evaluating people on their skill sets and putting them through one more torture of, you know, uh, fear, we said, let's use a summative assessment. You tell us what you know and what you want to know to do your work better number one now basis what they inputs they provide us we leverage technology to create a hyper personalized learning path for them all right now that learning path is all what we call learning on demand it is all online i am not bothered about how many hours of learning you are spe- you are spending it just doesn't give me anything You could be spending 2000 hours and somebody could be spending 20 hours you can't tell who's the wiser you cannot tell now what you try to do is uh follow a very follow a mix and match of macro and micro learning over here so this learning path is all about whatever areas you want to learn it gets broken down into topics how to topics not the what is how to topics Each topic has multiple lessons, which are again, how to. And at the end of each topic, there are certain activities which people have to do in their real life, in their field of work. And the learning and talent is not supposed to evaluate the success or failure of that. It is you and the people you work with, your supervisor, your career coach, your career counselor, they evaluate, are you doing it okay, well, or really, really good right now whether you go through those lessons i am not bothered now those lessons again depending on different kind of people we have with their preferences are available in podcast audio cast elevator pitch animated presentation pdf version you pick up so it's truly learn at your own pace on any device in a format that you learn and when you want to learn now Once you have completed those activities, you get a certain score. Now, that is something which you wanted to learn, right? As a person. Now, there are certain responsibilities from an organization standpoint as well. So now, after you've gone through all this, a small skills assessment to figure out where you stand for your role. Now, the learning is not mapped to your role. You could be learning what a managing director needs to know. No one's stopping you from that. So you do this. And you earn something called stick it to campus. Now, this is where the fun happens. And this is where actual creativity and innovation is brought to life. Whereby, it is not sage on stage. Let's put that in the garbage can. It's gone. It's about guide by sight. And it's about replicating your real work environment in a simulation. In a classroom. So you do exactly what you're doing in your real life, but with multiple different levels of curveballs and complexity, you work with the same people, you work with the same boss, you work with the same set of customers, dummy customers or whatever, and now the levels of or the complexity of problem keeps rising. One layer, second layer, third layer, fourth layer, fifth layer. And now you bake in competition. You form people into groups. We are all competitive by nature, right? Imagine having five hundred people split into maybe fifth uh, hundred teams of five five people each, and each competing with each other in the real world. Imagine that they and you bake in every single curveball in the world. Somebody's falling sick. Somebody uh, has left the organization. Somebody doesn't have the skill set, or uh, something happening, the takeovers are happening, mergers acquisitions are happening, your competitor has stolen, there has been corporate espionage, you bake everything what you want to bake in that. Put people through that. Whatever possible curveball you can think. Now you see real application of what they have learned in multiple different contexts and are, are people really applying those? And then you figure out where people are really good at and you reward them for that, whatever they create. Now that becomes a product or a solution that your organization can now say in the market. So you involve people, You know, the human centered part of it. Think of it from that standpoint.
0: I like the idea of this uh, way of very structured thinking to be personalized, both in the methodology, in the structure, but then adding this mix of making it real, to what they're working on with the real people and then getting these muscles to be familiar with uncertainty to uh in a safer place environment in a safer environment so okay go and play on the practice field but the same team with the same ball with the same objectives and we're going to throw some things at. so then when you're on the performance stage of the the real stuff actually you can apply some of those things across i love that way of thinking and to bring play, to bring some joy, to bring some competition. I think uh, some of the challenges throughout, you know, my life and career where my parents were very much of the, the guys of in sports, in anything, no, you, you go for winning. And then there was this whole era of, no, it's just turning up, um, you know, and, and just (laughs) taking part. And we've, I feel we've lost a little bit of that in work as well, that uh, we need that polarity and that paradox of turning up's great, but also we need to go and win and have some competition and not see either as bad and see both as points on the the EKG. So my final piece that I'd like to just uh, end on, and it's a question I ask every guest and it's around curiosity. Mm-hmm. And a key part, you know, when we're young, everything's new, we're curious about it all. And what tends to happen is we then, ah, I know what I'm doing. I don't need to, you know, I, I, I can't unlearn things. And actually everything, I've been there, done it, got the t-shirt, is the same people will say. So when was the last time you did something for the first time? And what was
1: it? I would say today morning itself. Tell me more. Okay. So uh, it's nothing to do with work predominantly, but it was like I was supposed to go to office and oh, some odd reason my car was not starting. Now I had two choices. Call up a mechanic, call my neighbor, open YouTube and figure out what's wrong. Now, if I have to call a mechanic, it's going to take half an hour, 45 minutes to come. Waste of my time. My neighbor might, might not be available. So all these thoughts were running in my head. I'm like, I know about cars. Let me give it a try. So I opened the bonnet, opened YouTube and said, I'm going to get, I'm getting this kind of a noise. This is happening. This is happening. In 15 minutes, I was able to get my car started and I learned a mistake I was always making. And boom, there you go. See, I believe there are learning moments that happen at every second of our lives. If if only we are curious to know about it and if only we have a mindset that I need to know it all and I'm not a know-it-all person, I have to learn it all, right? Now, whether that's part of a conversation, whether it's part of your daily regime of work, Whether you are reading when you're talking to somebody, mentoring someone, coaching someone, firing someone, talking to your kids. For that matter of fact, let me say I learned a lot about you in this conversation, right? So the old the you know old time adage curiosity kills the cat doesn't exist. It is curiosity what got man to cure the cat. (laughs) It is curiosity which will take us to the sun. It is curiosity which helped the entire world pass through this pandemic stage. It is curiosity and tenacity combined together that we were able to manage the huge shifts in the work conundrum. Yeah, We all put our brains together, right? And you're right. I think somewhere down the line through our growing years, we tend to come in that, I know it all. So I think we need to let go of that fixed mindset and be more on the growth mindset stage.
0: It's the, it's the shift where society rewarded knowledge when we were a knowledge economy and we, we rewarded the answer. Whereas now in an imagination economy, what we need to reward is the questions. Knowing See, what the right question gift. is. It's a huge shift because um, knowing the answer with your car is very different to know what are the right questions to ask. Oh, is yes. it the sound? Is it this? What is it? Knowing those questions, the answers, we have access to all of those. But what we need to get better at and get better at thinking is the framing and the right questions to then lead us to those things. I I I know that there's going to be um, lots of opportunity to, to engage in many ways. If people want to get in touch with you to... Uh, ask questions to think about their thinking or, or whichever they might be someone else who's a CHRO in another area. And I know you do a lot with a number of groups, a number of bodies, uh, whether that's in your speaking bits. How do they get best in touch with you, Anuj? And um, give us just a, a couple of ways that they can do that. And then I, I'm gonna have to take us a close because we're coming up to the final time.
1: Well, I am very active on LinkedIn. I think 18 hours I'm active on LinkedIn. My email address is there. And just connect with me and I'll share my phone number. We can connect over WhatsApp or any other digital medium. I'm happy to go live to chit chat at any point of time. That's mutually convenient. I'm sure I'll also learn from people and they might pick up a few threads from me as well.
0: Fantastic. One of life's true givers and you know, a consultant at heart that wants to ask good questions, wants to learn and wants to serve in the the mix of that. It's been a real pleasure to hang out with you and I look forward to collaborating with you in the future. So thank you very much.
1: Thank you, Rod. It was a pleasure to speak with you and thank you for having me as a guest. Pleasure is all mine.
0: Do you have the level of adaptability to survive and thrive the rapid changes ahead? Has your resilience got more comeback than a yo-yo? Do you have the ability to unlearn in order to reskill, upskill and break through? Find out today and uncover your adaptability profile and score, your AQ. Visit aqai.io to gain your personalised report across 15 scientifically validated dimensions of adaptability. For a limited time, enter code podcast sixty five. For a complimentary AQME assessment, AQAI transforming the way people, teams, and organisations navigate change. Thank you for listening to this episode of Decoding AQ. Please make sure you subscribe on your favourite podcast directory, and we'd love to hear your feedback. Please do leave a review, and be sure to tune in next time for more insights from our amazing guests.